Good afternoon. The last two times I preached, I did not deviate from 1 Timothy in our study there, just jumped around a little, and the same applies today. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, for 1 Timothy chapter 3, well-known passage of Scripture regarding deacons in the church. 1 Timothy 3, we'll read that short section from verses 8 to 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ's church, as we come to the charge, to the deacons, and to the church. And the good news is that I'm not going to preach a sermon each for each deacon. It's the same sermon, so just one sermon today. And that, uh, as is our custom here at Trinity, as we realized this morning also at the installation of an officer, our sermon will be a charge to the deacons, Dean Reeves and Roland Hernandez, and a charge to the members of TRBC. So we have two simple main points. Firstly, the charge to the deacons. We'll spend most of our time in this point, the charge to Dean and Roland. Now trust that this will serve as a refresher for our existing and faithful deacons, Chris Anna and Andrew Percy. So uh, one taken away and two added. We have four sub-points. Number one, First of all, for the deacons, the example of Christ. The example of Christ. And I was a salesman for 35 years, and I remember having to wait for appointments, going to see someone and wait, and I used to pick up the financial mail. And the back page of the financial mail, you would read these interesting accounts of leaders of 200,000 or leaders of 100,000. And I used to look at this with some awe at these men who were great leaders. And by the standards of the world, a person's greatness is determined by how many people are under their control or management responsibility. And John Stott, in, in his book, One People, notes that the world measures greatness by the service that a person receives. In business, the important people are those at the top of the organizational pyramid. The bigger the organization, the more important the person at the top is. In personal affairs, the great are those who have servants. And the great number of servants you have, the greater one is. And Jesus reversed all that, didn't he? He turned the whole thing upside down, making, as it, as it were, the first last and the last first. And in God's eyes, greatness consists not in the number of people who serve us, but in the number of people that we serve. Stott 
it says the following, and he's actually quoting George Fuller. If Jesus had not taken upon himself the form of a servant, if the Lord of glory had not humbled himself and become obedient to death, even death on the cross, the world's standards would have remained unchanged. Jesus Christ was the great deacon, the servant of Jehovah, Isaiah calls in the prophet Isaiah foretold. And in the church of God, in one sense, all are to be servants, all are to be table waiters and deacons, servants of Christ's church for the benefit and the building up of Christ's body. To be a Christian is to be a servant to one another and to the church and primarily to Christ. And that means to serve. It's the example of Christ. Mark 10, 45, we're told, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came to serve. This was the whole purpose of the incarnation for the Son of God to serve the purposes of God in the salvation of his people. And Christ's whole life, as we saw last time, was a condescension on this earth, a humbling, a service to God and to all humanity. And in John 13, we have the account of Jesus doing servant work in a house that he was the guest. And you remember the account, that act was a custom and sign of gracious hospitality in the East to wash the feet of your guests. But Christ took that upon himself. After laying aside his garment, Christ stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet. And we know the account. And see Christ's teaching right after that. Christ says to the disciples, do you see what I've done here? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I here have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater the one than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Christ's example of humble service is an example to every person in Christ's church and to the deacons. The apostles consider themselves as God's servants to the church. Every elder, every deacon, every member in the church of Christ, we serve one another and we all serve the Lord Christ, following his example. And we see that Christ's work extended to even beyond the church, to the sick, the destitute, the poor, the alien, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Service motivated by love and compassion. So Roland and Dean, we have before you the example of Christ, the great deacon. Secondly, we note the necessity of the office. The necessity of the office. Why is this office necessary and important in the church? And you may argue in the church, perhaps in smaller churches, that a deacon's not even necessary. We'll just, among the members, take care of it ourselves. It is necessary. 
And it is important because it was instituted by Christ through the apostles as one of the two offices in the church. And as such, it is ordained by God for the pattern of the New Testament church. This is not an optional extra that the church may or may not obey. Deacons are necessary because Christ deemed it so. It's important for us to consider, and as I say this, you'll remember the account how this came about, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And for that, we need to go back to the book of Acts as a reminder. For in doing that, we will see what necessitated this important office in the church. And not only does it give us instruction regarding the most important part of the deacon's work, distributing to the poor and to the needy, we also see the qualification of this office, which was later taught in 1 Timothy 3, which we have read today. You needn't turn there. Let me read a few verses from Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. When the Hellenistic Jews complained they were not being included in the distribution of food, the twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said it is not right that we should give up the preaching, the word of God, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this off duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And if you jump down to verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. It has become a pattern in the church. The important point here was the reason for the necessity of this office in every church was to allow gospel ministry, prayer, and the ministry of the word which was the greatest and last commission of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church to go forward unhindered. That is why we have deacons, that the word of Christ and the ministry of the word and prayer and the shepherding of his people go forward unhindered in order that the elders could devote their efforts to the work of ministry, prayer and the shepherding. And as elders, we need to be reminded of this we are now six elders again and seven with our uh, graduated elder that we need to be reminded that which is of foremost importance. And it's easy to get distracted. George and I know all about that because we work a little closer with the deacons. So even though this is secondary to the preaching of the gospel and to the spiritual needs of the saints, it is important it is very important, important enough for Christ through his apostles to see fit to institute this office in the church, the office of deacons. Andy and Roland, this is a high office to which you have been appointed. This brings us to our third sub-point, the qualifications of this office. The qualifications of this office. Note verse 8 to 10 of our text. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
and they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. We notice that as with the elders, the qualifications of those who serve as deacons are spiritual qualifications. And this we also learn in the Acts 6 passage, in that verse 6 that we read, Pick among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. A spirit-full man, what is he? He is a man who walks in love to his neighbor and to God. And to the commands of Christ, the commands of God, it is someone in whom the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their daily walk. And that's why these men who've aspired to this office have proved their worth among us as servants and have lived in purity of life in their lives. And though they are not married, they aspire to be married, uh, I, I'm very sure. And in the home, whether married or not, in verse 11 and 12, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. There we go, deacons, that's how you choose your wife, managing their children in their own households well. Someone who manages their children and households well, whose wives, characters, reflect these godly virtues. A deacon must be a faithful provider, protector of his home, a man who loves his wife as Christ loved the church, a man whose, love, whose wife lovingly submits to him. In the workplace and in the world, verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, speaking the truth in love, not addicted to much wine and the love for the things of the world, not greedy for dishonest gain. And in the church, they must hold, verse 9, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That deposit that Timothy was encouraged to God. Deacons must stand out as those who accept Christ's teaching and the apostolic teaching. Hold fast to all scripture which is God breathed out, which means they are men who watch their lives and their doctrine closely. Deacons, you will be watched even more closely once you put in this position of responsibility and honor. All eyes will be on you. As we consider these qualifications of the New Testament deacon, we should all be encouraged to aspire this, to live in this way in the church of Jesus Christ and in this world. For as we noted in every sense, we are all to be servants of one another. Let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Perhaps I'm scaring you today. Who is blameless? Who is sufficient for these things? Who can attain to this high standard as commanded in the scripture for the New Testament deacon? Brothers and sisters, our perfection is Christ, the Savior who appoints his deacons through the church. He takes these deacons who aspire to live and serve in this way and who resolve with God's help and the help of the Spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Christ takes such a one, takes our service, takes our good works with all its imperfections and mixed motives and prideful hearts which we have at times and perfects them and accepts our labors at the Father's right hand, making all our works acceptable to God. These are the qualifications of the deacons. And Roland and Dean, keep these ever before you. Read these scriptures frequently to remind yourselves. We observe in the fourth and final place in the charge to the deacons, the work of the office. The work of the office. Here we're going to observe three things very briefly, each beginning with the deacon's work is. Firstly, the deacon's work is to assist the ministers in the work of the ministry. To assist the ministers in the work of the ministry. And this is an important point to note under all that is required of the New Testament deacon. That office which started with a simple but important matter of distributing food to the poor in the church without discrimination. All the work carried out by the deacons is to this larger purpose. And we read that in Acts, to assist in the work of the ministry by taking the load assumed in those days prior to the apostles, things legitimate and important, distribution of food to the poor, making sure that orphans and widows in the church are well taken care of, making sure that the Lord's house is in good and clean order on his day. Dean and Roland, in all these tasks, many repetitive, many hard, many ongoing and sometimes tiresome, yet as it in support of the successful and unencumbered work of the ministry, your partners in the gospel of Christ. In this way, you assist the work, work of the ministry. Secondly, the deacon's work is a ministry of mercy. The deacon's work is a ministry of mercy. And I want to drive this point home to the deacons. That's how it came about. It was to see to the needs of the poor and the helpless, and the widow, and the orphan. Deacons, as the New Testament teaches us, are to be involved in a compassionate ministry of caring for the poor and the needy. That was the beginning of it all. But in the 21st centuries, with our large campuses and buildings and all things that need to be taken care of, so much more has been added to it. Alexander Strauss writes in his book, The New Testament Deacon, and I commend that book to you. In fact, I think uh, one or two of you may have read it already. The, deacon minister, the deacon's ministry, therefore, is one that no Christ-centered church in the New Testament can ever afford to neglect. Again, we are to note the primary reason for the establishment of this office and amid the many responsibilities of the 21st century deacon, things unknown even in the early church, large campuses and complex budgets, uh, thanks to George for watching over that, maintenance, garden work, and all the outward work of God's house. Deacons, let's never lose sight of the original work, distribution of food to the poor, the compassionate ministry. 
taking care of the material needs of the people both within and sometimes outside of the church. And church members, you may not know this, the deacons do a good job at this. And let's keep our focus. This is a ministry of mercy. This is Christ's work. This is true undefiled religion to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Deacon said, you know, it is okay for you to do a little visit to the orphans and the widows and those in distress to gauge what the needs are and to show love in this way. These are the eternal benefits in this ministry of mercy. The great reward promised by Christ in the scriptures in that cup of cold water in his name. Great rewards for that one. For Jesus says to his disciples, for as much as you did it unto the least one of my brothers, you did it unto me. Thirdly and finally, a deacon's work is to serve the Lord Christ. Deacon's work is to serve the Lord Christ. Though the deacon is serving the members of the local church, orphans and widows in their distress, the weak, the sick, the poor, and while the office was established to assist the minister from these outward distractions, all the outward work of God's house, the deacon, like every one of us, pastors, members, old and young, sick and infirm, we serve the Lord Christ. We serve the Lord Christ. We need to remember our service is to Christ. And like Christ, after his example, this includes service to the undeserving, the ungrateful, those who forget to come back and say thank you, like nine of the lepers, the stubborn, the disobedient, and the wandering sheep. Because in serving them, we serve the Lord Christ. Christ did not only heal those who believed in him. Christ did not feed only those who trusted in him. Christ did not show compassion only for those who were his children. The ancient and greatest commandment still holds firm. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself And Christ's command. His new commandment must govern our service. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another with this new quality of life, as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. For ultimately, the deacon serves the Lord Christ. The deacon's faithful service comes with a blessed promise. 1 Timothy 3.13, For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That then the charge to the deacon, we've spent most of our time, for these things apply to every one of us and even the elders. And we do well to remind not only deacons but each one of us to, de- to these things. The charge to Dean and Roland. And now, Those of you who fell asleep, wake up. It's time for the charge to the church. Number two, the charge to the church. Well, in the light of the vow, it's quite simple. It was right there. We all as a church, this afternoon, 
at Deacon Dean and Roland's installation, it should come as no surprise that there's a charge to the church in the setting aside of Dean and Roland to the office of deacon. Do you, members of this church, promise to yield to them all that honor, encouragement, obedience in the Lord to which this office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? For this, I'd like to turn your attention to Romans chapter 12 for this charge. If you want to turn there, you may, may do so. It's a well-known chapter on being living sacrifices to God. And here Paul shows that Christian devotion is firstly, primarily to God. But as in James, true religion leads to love, compassion, and action. Romans 12, the second half of the chapter, verse 9, let me read a few verses there. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We have three simple points under the charge to the church. Number one, support the work of the deacon. Support the work. Whenever someone is placed in a position of service, not only in the church, but also in the world, these people are automatically placed under scrutiny and are often criticized and corrected rather than supported. Would you like to rate our server tonight? Just so you can give him a bigger tip. We're all familiar with all this. Any service-related industry comes under the microscope and under scrutiny. People in positions of leadership and service are called to make decisions about how they will do things. And they will not always do things the way you like them to do that. Why do the deacons stack the chairs that way and not this way? And you may express those feelings and give suggestions, and there's nothing wrong in that. But let this be the disposition of our hearts to support the work and not hinder it. To support the work and not hinder it. To help rather than to criticize. Oh, did you see the mess in the playground? Where's the deacon? Is there a mess in the playground? Pick it up. Pick it up. Support the work. Support the work. People in positions of leadership called to make those decisions, but we like to criticize them, don't we, rather than help. We've already noted the importance of this office. It's instituted by Christ through the apostles. And that alone should motivate us to have respect for the office and for the man who has proved himself as a servant among us to honor these men who labor among us. Honor where honor is due. I love this man, Epaphroditus, in Philippians 2. Uh, I just, when I was studying Philippians 2 a time back, I just thought, 
What a great guy. Effectively doing the work of a deacon as a simple messenger to Paul. He volunteered for a dangerous journey. Got so sick he nearly died on that journey. And Paul writes of him in that simple diaconal work that he did. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Brothers and sisters, support the work and honor these men as you vow to today. Brothers and sisters, we ought to support the work of deacons, respect them. This office given by Christ to receive these men with joy and to honor these men. In the second place, what is our charge? To pray for the deacons. Pastor Sam included that for the elders. Pray for us every day, please. Let's pray for our deacons. From the text above, consider verse 11 and 12. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Pray for our deacons. They hold an office which Christ appointed in Christ's church for the glory of God and for the good of the saints. If they are not effective, if they are not faithful, if you are not faithful in their support and in prayers offered to God, the gospel will be hindered. And the whole point of the deacon is that the gospel may be advanced, unhindered and unencumbered by these things. The name of Christ will then be profaned in the church by outsiders. The church of Jesus Christ this office of ministry to the poor and others in need is a high position because it was instituted by God, as with all positions of authority in the world. And both offices in the church, no matter how lowly or humble the task may seem, pray for those who serve us. And Christ will continue, and Christ will, and continue to strive to be perfect before God. They will have a good standing within the church and be of good repute outside the church. Pray for wisdom for them. This work supports the work of the ministry. This office enables the work of the gospel to go forward unhindered. They are God's servants. We should uphold them in prayer daily. Thirdly and finally, charge to the church, follow the example of the deacons. And be examples to one another. Follow the example of the deacons. And be examples to one another. These men are deacons because we saw them serving you in the church. And that's why you have come forward and said, why are you not a deacon? You serve every Sunday. Follow the example of deacons and be examples to one another. And there's just two things here. Exhibit servant hearts. Exhibit servant's heart. To have a servant heart is to have such an attitude of mind as to empathize and to feel compassion for those who are in need and for those less fortunate than ourselves. We started the sermon of the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul does that in Philippians chapter 2. He says it's a state of mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but humbled himself. Have that mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. The form of God, he humbled himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so as in the example of Christ, it is not enough, brothers and sisters, to show or to feel empathy or compassion. But like the deacon, our compassion for the less fortunate, the sick, the needy, the poor, the widow, the orphan must lead to action, which brings us to the second and final consideration. Have this mindset. Secondly, show servant actions. Show servant actions. What am I saying? Be a servant. Be a table waiter. Be a table waiter yourself. Christ and God's love for the world led the Godhead to action. Christ saw the world, God saw the world, gone astray everyone, and he had compassion, but he took action. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ's love for the world led him to feed the poor, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, bring life to those who are dead. Not only did he empty himself of the visible glory he had before the world began, but he gave himself all his energy and, uh, and his time on earth was spent in doing good and Christ demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And brothers and sisters, as we support the work, as we follow the example of the deacon, it's easy to feel compassion. Even the unbeliever is capable of compassion and expressing empathy for the suffering and the lonely and the poor. But true Christian love and compassion is diaconal. It's love in action, as the letter of James reminds us, that faith without works is dead. Outdo one another, says Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Practice hospitality as commanded in our verse 13 in our text. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And finally, exaltation to the church in order for the deacon to be able to do his work. We need to support it. It's a big church. Bring your tithes and your offerings into the church. That is supporting the work of the deacons. That is why when somebody is in great need, we are able as a church to take care of them, to provide food, to provide money that is needed. Bring your tithes and your offerings into God's house as an act of worship to assist in the work of the ministry by the pastors and the work of mercy of the deacons. What is the charge to the church in this matter in the office of deacon? Support the work of the deacons. Pray for our deacons. Follow the example of the deacons. Be examples to one another by displaying servants' hearts and servant actions as found supremely in the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who took off a dowser cloak, put a towel around his waist, washed his disciples' feet whom be glory and honor our Savior and the church both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we 
thank you for this wonderful day in which you have gifted the church with three young men. We pray your special blessing upon Hayden, our new pastor, that you would bless his ministry amongst us. Pray this afternoon again for Dean and Roland, and thank you that they've aspired to this office. They desire to serve you through the church. Bless these men, fill them with your spirit, and help us as your people to be deacons one to another, for we all serve the Lord Christ with thanksgiving. Amen.